You may be seated. Um, I preached a message on that way back, I don't know, 2014 or something like that, about I am. Um, it's, it's been a while. It was way back in Lansing. Um, I, I preached a message on that because it was so powerful when you, if you remember the story of Moses, um, he's talking to God through the burning bush and he's, he's throwing circumstance after circumstance, trying to get any excuse possible to get out of going on behalf of God to get the people free. And he's like, well, well if I go to them and they say, okay, well, who sent you? What am I supposed to say? Well, who am I, what God am I supposed to say sent me? And God says, I am. That is the first time God does not have a uh, a general, in the Hebrew, it would be Elohim, or El for short, God name. He is given Yahweh, the holy name, the I am name. And, and God does that, and it should be capital I, capital A, I am. Because what he does is every, every God at that point in history, they had their different features, and their names reflected that the god Ra was the god of the sun. And, and so every god's name was a descriptor of their power and their might. And so God tells Moses, I am, period. What you need at any moment. It, it doesn't matter. You fill in the blank. I am sent me. I am is the god we serve. He is not limited to one facet. He is the great God who is not bound by anything. It was, it was wonderful, and I could probably preach on that all if I wanted to, but we have other things to, to look to because um, I'm already short on time because uh, I, I planned this series to be four weeks, um, but then with everything that happened, I'm, I'm losing next Sunday because of the combined worship service, which is okay, but now I have to cram two sermons into one because I couldn't pick between one or the other, and I knew that both were valid and important for us to hear. So um, bear with me. We're going to be going a little bit quicker than what I would prefer, but I know that it will still be good. At least I hope it is. Um, so we've been talking about being disillusioned, and I wanted to first address today the idea of being disillusioned by friends. Because being disillusioned by friends is something entirely different than the previous two we talked about. We talked about being disillusioned by family and being disillusioned by work. Family, you don't get to choose, right? You're born into your family. For better or for worse, that's who you got. And, and you can't really help that. So the, the probability of them disappointing you at some point in your life is rather high because you had no choice in it. The same kind of goes for work because you might not always get to choose the job that you want. I would have rather not had worked at Taco Bell while I was in high school, but that was the place that would hire me. So if you want money, you work and you take whatever job you can get. When we had to make an adjustment and move to DeWitt, I took whatever job I could get because my family needed the money. And so you just kind of do it, whether you're a barista or you're a dishwasher, you do what you have to do to survive. So, so work sometimes can be 
difficult because you don't get to choose everything or you don't get to choose your boss. I know I was talking to Sabelle yesterday and she's been having issue after issue. She said four store managers in four months. There are some problems there. And she's getting the brunt of it along with all the other co-workers at Walmart. And, and I can imagine that they're right now being very disillusioned about their work environment because something's just not quite working out. But friends, we get to choose our friends. We get to put safeguards in place and say, I will let so-and-so come this close and be this personal. I'll let so-and-so come a little bit closer, and I'll let this person in a little bit closer yet. We get to choose who we open up to, who we befriend. And that makes it very different than when we become disillusioned by them. Because a lot of times our friendships are formed through shared experiences whether they're good or bad. I know that there's plenty, uh, well, you, when you're going to the, the support groups for, for women who had husbands with uh, uh, Alzheimer's, thank you, uh, you connected with those ladies. You began to form a friendship because you had a shared experience. That's something that is so valuable, and yet the moment that disappointment comes, and you realize that that friend was not all they were cracked up to be, you say, what has happened? I thought you were this. I had these expectations. I, I, I imagined that it was going to go this way. And so being disillusioned by friends can be very difficult for us. So how do we overcome that? How do we deal with friends not living up to our expectations? Even more so, as we dig deeper, how do we go on throughout our lives when we become disillusioned? Right now, there is no secret. We are being disillusioned. I didn't plan for it. I would rather not have planned for it. This, this entire series has been gut-wrenching for me to finish because of the very words that we're living through. To realize all of a sudden that your, your idea of what you had is being flipped upside down and you're standing there saying, now what do I do? How do I move on? That's what I want us to look at. And in the last few weeks, however long that may be as your pastor, if there's one thing I could help you have the most, is to begin to form the same attitude that Joseph had as he went through disillusionment, through disillusionment, through disillusionment. Because I know he turned out okay. His life turned out really good in spite of all that. So if you can, please turn to Genesis chapter 45, verses 4 through 15. We'll be looking to God's word to resolve these problems because God's word is foundational in that. That's why we lean on it. That's why we, we look to it. Up to this point, Joseph has been disowned by his brothers. He's been sold as a slave. He's been falsely accused, imprisoned, 
And now he's been forgotten about his friends. I don't know how close he was with the cupbearer and the chief baker. I'd imagine fairly close since he was kind of running the operation and they came to him when they had the dreams. I would imagine that they had some sort of relationship because they all were kind of in jail together, sharing that experience. Scratching their heads saying, hmm, how do we get out of this pickle? And that cupbearer, he gets out and Joseph is saying, finally I'll get some release. And two more years go by. If you are able, I ask that you please stand for the reading of God's word today. In Genesis 45, 4 through 15. I'm sorry. When Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me, and they came closer, he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine had been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I will provide for you there, since there are five more years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have will not become to poverty. And now, your eye, and now your eyes and your eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my own mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father how greatly I am honored in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. While Benjamin wept upon his neck and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. This is the word of God for the people of God, and together we say thanks be to God. You may be seated. Lord, as we venture into this today, this word, as we see Joseph resolve things with his brothers and, and work through the problems he had with his friends, uh, Lord, guide us now in our moment of disillusionment that we may continue to live as Joseph lived, to understand who you are through his eyes. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, the first thing I want to address uh, is, is to go back to the part about Joseph dealing with the cupbearer and, and the friendship that they had. And, and the disillusionment that he found was that friendship is fragile. Something so dear, something that can be built so strong, and yet friendship is still fragile. The cupbearer owed his freedom to Joseph. In so many ways, the cupbearer would not have been where he was if it was not for what Joseph had done throughout the prison. 
interpreted the dream, gave him hope to carry on until Pharaoh would raise him back up to his position of power. Joseph was the one that was cheering for him. He was the one that was rooting for him and and trying to make sure that he could get back to his job. And he says just one thing, remember me. Remember me. I don't belong here and I just want to get back home. Remember me, please. And yet he forgot. As soon as he gets out, you would think that that would be on his mind. You'd think he would be saying, oh my goodness, Joseph's uh, interpretation came true. This is amazing. I need to tell someone. But he doesn't. And at that very moment, their friendship broke and became fragile. Friendships are hurt in innocence. We would be good to remember this more and more as we move throughout our lives. A good friend, a true friend, does not sit up day and night thinking about how they can do us harm. That is what we call a bad friend, okay? If you have someone plotting against you, they are not your friend, and you should not call them friend. That is not a good thing. So, so then we must then work with the assumption that then if we have a true friend, if they hurt us, they're doing it innocently. They did not mean to do it. It still hurts. It still doesn't change the fact that for two more years, Joseph was in jail because the cupbearer forgot about him. But we know that it is innocence. I can tell you for a fact it is because then when that time came, when Pharaoh begins to have his dreams and he's saying, well, what does this mean? How do I interpret this? He says, oh my goodness, my king, my lord, forgive me, I have sinned. Because when I was in jail, when you were upset with me, I don't really want to bring that up, but when I was in jail, I had this dream, and there was this man, and he told me what it was, and it came true. Forgive me, I have sinned. He knew at that moment, and and so we know that he was innocent in his harm to Joseph. True friends do not intentionally hurt you. It doesn't mean that they don't hurt you. It just means that when they do, you have to remember that they might not know that they hurt you. They might not have realized that what they did affected you. Bear that in mind. Instead of what could happen, I mean, when Joseph finally got out of jail, he could have went right up to that cupbearer and slapped him across the face and said, I've been in for two more years. Why didn't you tell him sooner? He doesn't, maybe because he is in front of the king, you know, but he, he doesn't. He holds himself. He, he, I don't know, I'd hope forgives the cupbearer for this fault. If we want to hold on to friendships when they break, because any good friendship, any true friendship will have a moment where it will be broken because they are fragile. you will only stand the chance of repairing that friendship if you remember that they probably hurt me out of innocence. They probably didn't mean to do this to me. 
the only way to repair that friendship is to keep that frame of mind. Because if you think they did that and they were gunning for me this entire time, you're going to allow anger to be built up so much within your heart that you will not be able to forgive them. You will not be able to stand their presence and you will shut that friendship down forever. So if you have a friendship and you want to keep that friendship, then remember, when they hurt you, they probably didn't mean it. Now, true friends also correct their mistakes, all right? Use this as a ruler. Use this as a guide. The, the true friends will go through and, and correct whatever they can when they know that they've made a mistake. The cupbearer, he, he doesn't just say, oh, man, oh, I messed that up. Well, it's been two years. Oh, well. And he goes on with his life. He, he corrects it. He he's, makes up for it as best as he can. And he says, forgive me. I made a boo-boo. Let me help you now. He corrected his mistake. This is something that, you know, they can't always correct every mistake. If a friend hurts you in certain ways, sometimes you have to live with those, those outcomes. But you can still see if they are willing to make an effort. And if they are, then you know that they're trying and that it's worth repairing the friendship through whatever incident broke it. Friendships are fragile, and yet they're strong all at the same time. They can help you through the most difficult points in life, and they can cause some of the most disappointing parts of our life. We need friends, but we need to remember the limitations that our friendships have. We need to remember that there is only so much our friends can do, and there will be times where our friends will not meet the expectations we have in our minds. That moment when Joseph realized, you know, I did everything for this guy. I helped him get back out. And he forgot me. There will still be those moments with our friends. So, we move on to ask the question, how then do we go about our lives? We're hit with some form of disillusionment and we're knocked to the ground and we say, God, what do we do? Well, what Joseph did is he remembered that God is the peace in our disillusioned world. First and foremost, Joseph remained fixed on God. This, this is something that we see throughout the entire story. He remained faithful. He remained consistent in what he did and what he said. Whether he was in the jail telling about a dream, he said, you know, hey, I'm not good. It's God who tells me. Or in front of the king, he could have said, yes, I'm this great man. I can interpret all these dreams. But he doesn't. He stops and he says, no, I can't tell you what the dreams mean, but God can. Everything I'm doing is, is because of the God that I serve, whether it's his own dreams that I have, or it's a cupbearer's dream, or it's your dreams, Pharaoh. Everything revolves around God and what he is doing throughout this. 
And then ultimately we see this culminate in Joseph's response to his brother, something that I love so much because he, he looks at Joseph, uh, Joseph looks at his brothers and he says, you meant harm. When you sold me into slavery, you meant to do me harm. But look at what God has done. He remained fixed on what God was doing. Furthermore, situations, we can let them be defined by what we think. We can use the situations that we encounter to say this is how God is, or we can allow God to speak into every situation to define the situation for us. And this is very critical to how we live throughout our lives because if we go throughout a tragedy and we allow that tragedy to determine who God is, we will have a very skewed perception of the God that we serve. We won't be looking at the I am God. We won't be looking at the cornerstone, the foundation. We'll be looking at this off perception of something that happened to us that was bad. But if we stop and we say, God, what are you doing through this situation? God, how are you working? How are you present? What do you want me to learn through this? How are you shaping me through this? It places God as the focal point, and every situation then has to be morphed around God's will instead of what we perceive which can help us because I know as Joseph went throughout being sold into slavery, working for some guy that then throws him in jail, and then being stuck in jail for years, he could have easily looked at his situation and said, this loving God that I talk about, man, he's not really loving me right now. I guess he's not so loving. But he doesn't. He allowed God to continue to speak into the situation instead of allowing the situation to define who God was. And so, we embrace disillusioned reality. We come to these moments where something happens. We can reject it. We can push back on it. We can say, no, I don't want to believe this. I don't want to accept it. I don't want this to be the truth. Or we can embrace it and say, this is the reality. If we do that, and we've kept God in the center, and, and we've been fixed on what he is doing and how he's defining these situations, then we won't have to worry about how this disillusioned reality is because we'll be seeing the God version of it, not our version of it. And that's what Joseph continued to do. That's, I believe, what allowed Joseph to make it this far in his life. Because every moment that came along that tried to knock him down, he said, you know what? Yep, let it come. My God is greater. My God's going to take care of me. My God gave me a dream, and I'm going to hold on to that dream for as long as I can. And you know what? It happens. His brothers come and bow down before him, and then again they come down and bow down before him. It, it came true because he continued 
to embrace the fact that, hey, this is what it is, but this isn't because of who I am. It's not because of what I've done or it's not because of what these people are doing. It's because God is continuously moving me to something greater that I might not see yet. It took him over two decades to understand why his brother sold him into slavery. Can you imagine over 20 years of asking the question, why, God, did you let me go off from my family into this foreign land to go through all these hardships? And then all of a sudden, this famine comes along, and he's in the right place at the right time to help not just one country, but a whole bunch of nations, including his own family. Right now, we are in the midst of a storm. We're in the midst of chaos. We're in the midst of this disillusionment where we're saying, God, what is going on? And the only comfort I have is wait and see. We have no clue what God is going to do. We have no clue how God is going to move and shape and and direct us, and we don't know what 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road has for the moment that we're in now. But we remain fixed on him. We remain fixed on the constant, which is God being our peace. I know this past week hasn't been easy for any of us. Um, I haven't slept nights. And the words that I have spoken over the past three weeks have haunted me because I know how difficult it is. And I always have hoped that when I preach something that it becomes something that we can put into a bank and we can hold on to for when that moment might come sometime down the road. Not for something that we need right this moment because it's so difficult. I haven't wanted to finish this series for as much as I've, I, I believe in it, as much as I, I know that it is true, it's, it's still that reality of painfulness that we can't overlook. And yet I know that God is doing much greater works. He is planning and moving us in directions that we don't understand right now, preparing us, shaping us, planting us, and and giving us lessons and tidbits and, and things to hold on to so that as the years come, something greater might happen. I know that might not seem like much encouragement right now, But hold on. Let God show you what he is doing instead of letting the chaos move you and throw you back and forth. Let him be the peace 
in these storms. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may we remember that you are our peace, that you are our comforter, And that when we face the harshest of realities, when we become disillusioned by everything in this world and all that we believe in and hope for has been turned upside down, that you are still there. You are still present and you are still consistent and you are the one who is defining the situations we are going through. We don't have to let the situations define your power. We don't have to let the situations define who you are or how much you love or how much you are caring for us or, or protecting us or, or moving us because you are consistent throughout the storms of this world. So help us to be like Joseph. God, be our center. Be our pulse in this world that seems so chaotic. Whether we are disillusioned by family, by work, or friends, we know that these moments can hit us so hard. Help us to rely on you and see what you are planning through it. Amen.